0: Hey, this is Todd coming to you from the uh, Sports Library and Spirituality in Verona, Wisconsin, and I just want to say thank you to to Anchor and Spotify for the uh, the chance to be the chance to have a podcast, and I would like to also say thank you to the listeners too. Thank you. I love the I love the 400 page uh, Brett Favre stories and stuff like that, but you know it's fun fun to read about the other uh, players too that were doing well back in back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now 2020s. We'll skip the 2000s even though they won in 2010. But anyways, I'm just joking. Dorsey Evans is who I want to talk about. Um. You know, I'm gonna read from him right now and I'm gonna go on and I'm probably gonna give some comments at the end. It might be a Wednesday morning practice. It might be a Friday walkthrough. Didn't matter. When Dorsey Levens took the field the only grade he knew was fifth. At times, some of us tried getting him to downshift. I should say the only gear he knew was fifth. Okay. He ran hard in our scrimmages. Our practices all the time sometimes I say choke it down horse take it down we need to have you for Sunday all well, Sundays weren't a problem either just ask Carolina for 29 year wait we were back in the NFC championship game in 1996 it was the first title game Green Bay had hosted since the legendary ice Bowl in 1967 and Levin's made his personal coming out party. The second year running back with Georgia Tech had 10 carries that frigid afternoon for 88 yards. He also caught five passes for 117. Levin's huge afternoon helped us topple Carolina, 30-13. to 13. Two weeks later, we dropped New England 35-21 to 21 in the Super Bowl 31. Prior to Levin's break-all game against Carolina, his rushing high was 86 yards, and his previous receiving highs were five catches for 83 yards. Talk about your poster child for timing is everything campaign. I thought I would contribute a little bit, Levin said. I never dreamed of having a game like this. This is definitely a career game. I'm in the game plan every week, but usually not this much. But Levins punished the Upstart Panthers. A franchise is just in his second year of existence throughout. And as Levins kept hurting Carolina, Mike Holmgren called his number more and more. He was special in a special game, Holmgren said that day. And we need Levins to be special. Carolina struck for a 7-0 lead early on. Then, Levins made one of the big displays of the game. On the first play of the second quarter, we had a first and 10 from Carolina's 29-yard line. We split two wideouts left, lined tight end Keith Jackins, Jackson's next-to-right tackle Earl Dawson, and split Levins out wide right. Levens got a clean release and was left one-on-one with all-pro cornerback Eric Davis. Favre, Favre released the ball 3.05 seconds after the snap. When he let it go, it appeared Levin's was cu- covered up by Davis. But Levin's adjusted perfectly to Favre's pass, won the jump ball over Davis and hauled in an enormous 29-yard touchdown. that nodded the game 7-7. I'll never forget that pass he caught against Carolina in the championship game up over Eric Davis. He was covered when Brett threw it that ball. But Brett knew his pass catching skills. That was a big catch. Weavons had a plenty of those throughout. Late in the third quarter, we were clinging to a 20-13 lead. And we had a second and six from our own 30-yard line. Farr flipped the screen past the Levins in the right flat. The guard, Adam Timmerman, was first one to throw a key block. Frank Winters and Antonio Freeman followed with terrific blocks of their own. Levins erupted down the right sidelines for a 66-yard reception and wasn't caught until he reached the Panthers' four-yard line. One play later, running back Edgar Bennett scored to give us a commanding 27-13 lead. It was perfect for us on that day. Dorsey, Dorsey did a great job of cutting back and getting in the open field and then using his speed. That was a great call for the blitz. Kevin Green came from the outside and I just dumped it over his head. There's no one out there, really. It, it's up to our line to block people, and Dorsey did a great job of running the ball. When he ran that down there, I felt pretty good about the outcome of the game. I felt pretty good about what we were, where we were. Rightfully so, the offense piled up a then team playoff record of 479 total yards. Farm had a big day, completing 19 of 29 passes for two touchdowns and 229 yards. And our tandems, our tandem of Levens, Bennett, and Bennett combined for 187 rushing yards. Altogether, we racked up 201 total yards. All year, everyone was the weakest part of, our, of the team was the running game, Levens said. We wanted to prove a point. Nobody gave us any respect all year. We wish quarterbacks had no arms so we could run every time. Over the next few years, Packer nations loved the sight of Levins running the football. Levins had a career year in 1997 with 1,435 rushing yards, third highest total in team history, and 12 total touchdowns. Levins' career was slowed when he suffered a broken leg in 1998. Levins ran for 1,034 yards in 1999, but never was quite the same player again. Dorsey and I both left after the 2001 seasons. But the horse, for two or three years, he was just awesome. combination of his speed and size and catching ability. Wow. Dorsey was something we'd never seen before with that size and power and speed. But he was the toughest coming out of the backfield catch. He was the toughest coming out of the backfield catching the ball. When you're talking about a guy who would come out of the backfield and catch a lot of passes and read zone blocking and love to play the game, it was Dorsey. He was something else. And he was better, he was never better than in the, that NFC championship game against Carolina. That game, that was the game that showed me he had we had arrived, Packer general manager ron wolf said i'll never forget it playing in our stadium in front of our fans and going up to the podium to and, to accept that nanoseed championship trophy oh some kind of experience one levens helped make possible i just want to say is that yeah Levens was awesome and you know that it's unfortunate about the injury because it took the it took his burst out of him you know he was He's pretty much just uh, a plodding back after he got uh, hurt. And, you know, it was a nasty injury, too. But what I'm trying to say too is that, you know, the man, he had speed. He had jumping ability. He had all the uh, all the stuff he need to be a great back and size. And he was a power back. And it was hard to bring down. And, you know, it was just like... He had all the, uh, yeah, he had all, he had it all. And he would have been a lot better, uh, he didn't get hurt, you know. And sometimes I blame that on coaching. Why? Because he didn't get enough reps during the, I uh, always oh, say you need reps during live games because if you don't have, well, if you don't have reps during live games, then you're not gonna be ready for live practice. Or live, you're not gonna be ready to play. And your body needs time to adjust all that stuff too. So enough. Um what I'm trying to say though too, is that I remember Dorsey being at uh, Notre Dame his freshman year and then uh and he transferred out. You know, he played a little bit of his freshman year in Notre Dame, I remember that. But he got holy totally got I think the Packers got him in the fifth round or something like that. And he, I, I still can't believe they got him because he was so uh, buried underneath the fact that nobody really knew who he was. Except for the real uh, diehard, diehard football personnel that we have uh, in Green Bay and in their fantasy football, and their fantasy football leagues, but, <laughs> all right, that's a joke, all right anyways But yeah, no, I I also remember him playing against uh, Tampa Bay in the first game of 1996 and uh, And they used him against uh They used him against Tampa for the for the Eagles spread formation And he was the he was he was like a lone single back, and they had—I think they had four wide receivers then. I'm sure they had three three wide receivers and a tight end. But you know, they would spread the field, and they would get him the ball up the middle on those draws, and he'd do some freaking damage. And he's uh, a lot of fun to watch. And he was—he wasn't. His sole responsibility was not that uh, he won. They won the Super Bowl because there was a lot of other. Intricate forces involved in that running game, too. Just a one, one hell of an offense line that finally came together. Um, that finally came together at the end of the year. So, we got Max McGee next. Probably one of the best colored uh, analysts I remember in uh, Packer history. So, I'm just gonna take a drink here quick and uh, just salute Max. But uh, Great guy. Great guy to watch. Great guy to, to, uh, to listen to when him and Jim Rowan were calling games. All right, Max McGee. On the field, he produced one highlight after another. Off the field, Max McGee might have assembled even more. Whether McGee was playing for the Packers or broadcasting their games, he was as colorful as anyone who ever passed through the organization standout wide receiver during the Packers' Gore years. McGee built the reputation for having as much, or more, fun away from the field as he did on it. Yeah, I think that's safe to say, Max said shortly before his death in 2007. I was fortunate to spend my whole time in Green Bay because we had a hell of a time. Now it's just a money game, but back then we had loyalties. McGee was loyal to Green Bay for more than 3 decades. McGee was a top-notch wide receiver during his 12-year career. He was part of the remarkable transformation under Vince Lombardi, won 5 NFL championships, and was introduced into the Packers Hall of Fame in 1975. When McGee's playing days ended, he was something, he was a smashing, smashing success as Green Bay's radio color commentator from 1979 to 1998. It was a great ride, McGee said. Every step of the way was a blast. For McGee, nothing was more fun than his adventures at Super Bowl One. Max McGee had been a Packers standout for years after coming to Green Bay in the fifth round from Tulane in 1954. He called into the Air Force in 1955. He was called into the Air Force in 1955, 56, then returned to Green Bay in 57. McGee led the team in receptions in 1958 and from 1960 to 62. He was a Pro Bowl player in 1961 and remained a starting wide receiver through 1964 as the packers dominated the rest of the nfl by the time super bowl one rolled around though on january 15 1967 mcgee was a little used reserve who had caught just four passes all season when boyd dollar went down with a separated shoulder on green bay's second series it was mcgee to the rescue mcgee had to borrow a teammate's helmet because he left his in the locker room but just a few days later a few plays just a few plays later he made a brilliant one-handed catch sprinted past chiefs defender fred williamson and raced 37-yard touchdown the first in super bowl history over the remainder of the afternoon McGee produced one of the greatest games in Super Bowl history, catching seven passes for 138 yards and two touchdowns as Green Bay bested Kansas City 35-10. to After I had scored those two touchdowns, Paul Horning came over to me and said, You're, you're going to be the MVP, said McGee. Who lost out on MVP honors to quarterback Bart Starr? Well, I wasn't, but it was a heck of a game and a heck of an evening beforehand, because McGee believed he had virtually no shot of playing in the game. He says he risked the $15,000 fine and snuck out the night before to meet up with two stewardess. McGee claimed he was out all night and went into Super Bowl I with a hangover and almost no sleep. Dave Hogg Hanner, who was in charge of bed checks, claimed That McGee's story, dodging Kirby was sheer fiction. McGee, though, said that Hanner was covering his own tail. Hog's one of my favorite buddies, and he's he's trying to cover his ass on his own. I'm sorry, he's trying to cover his ass on this one, McGee said. I was rooming with Horning, and Horning didn't want to risk going out because the fine was the same as our game check was going to be. But, when Hogg stuck his hand in, I said, are you going to be checking late? He screamed, damn right I am. Then he stuck his head back in and shook it no. Well, I almost ran him over just trying to get out. But he was notorious for such antics. He and Horningwood both lived the nightlife and often seemed to divvy up as much as as they brought home well McGee would often drive a coach Vince Lombardi nuts there was a mutual respect between the two not to pat myself on the back but he was very confident when he was playing and I would give him some big plays one such play proved how max could push Lombardi's buttons became in 1960 NFL championship game in Philadelphia. McGee, who also punted, loved to fake a punt and take off running under former coaches Lyle Blackburn and Scooter McLean. But when Lombardi arrived, he told McGee that he wouldn't tolerate. He, he wouldn't be, that wouldn't be tolerated unless the order came from him. With Green Bay needing a spark in the fourth quarter, McGee took off running on a fake punt from his own goal line and picked up 40 yards. The play was remarkably bold, considering Lombardi didn't authorize it. McGee later capped the drive with a seven-yard touchdown reception from Barstar for a 13 to 10 Green Bay lead. Although the, Raiders, also the Eagles rallied back for a 17 to 13 victory. McGee's run remains legendary. If I hadn't made it, I would have never played another down Green Bay, McGee said. I know that much. Luckily for the Packers and McGee, he made it that day. McGee would go on to post 345 career receptions for 6,346 yards and 50 touchdowns. McGee also punted 256 times for 10,647 yards, an average of 41.6 yards per punt. When I first got there, the Packers were a disaster, McGee said. We weren't winning. We didn't have enough talent. Who would ever have thought things would turn end up the way they did? McGee certainly didn't think he'd remain part of the Packer family when his playing days ended either. McGee retired after the 1967 season and became a successful restaurateur. McGee also also dabbed in some television and radio broadcasting before getting a call from the Packers in 1979. Jim Irwin and Lionel Aldridge were doing the Packer broadcasting, were doing the Packer radio broadcasts at the time, but well, Alders became ill. McGee got the call. They told me the game was in Los Angeles, McGee said. And I said, I'll be there. Maybe I can find those stewardess again. Had I been in St. Louis or something, I would have probably said no. <laughs> many many Packer fans had fortunate. Many Packer fans feel fortunate he did. Over the next twenty years, McGee and Erwin. Developed a cult following that lasted until their till their retirements following the 1998 season. I Never claimed to be an announcer McGee said What it did was give me a platform to tell people the truth and what was really going on We saw a lot of bad football early on and I tell people when a guy made a dumbass play And I'll tell jokes and be funny and Jim was kind of a homer who people liked I think it worked perfectly. Just like McGee's McGee's career. I'm glad I got to play when I did, McGee said. I don't even like football anymore, because every time a guy gets a hand in on a tackle, he's doing a back flip or a pounding his chest. I played at a great time with some great plays, with some great, I'm sorry, let me go over through that again. I played at a great time with some great guys. And even though the money wasn't close to what it was like today, we had a good time. We had a great time. Few more, few more. So than McGee. You know, I love this. I I love uh, McGee's story because of his uh, of his stats. Because you know, I really, I really didn't know that much about McGee. You know, I tell my until I got a little bit older and to realize that, you know, he, he did his damage early in his career. If he didn't have to skip two years because of the military, he could have played 15 years. And, um, then again, who knows, maybe he got, you know, he was, he was just incredible. And I just remember the morning, Sunday morning, that he came across that Max McGee had lost his life. I uh, was... I I also remember that he was up on his roof and he's doing that gutter thing that they do during the fall and trying to get the leaves out of the gutter of the the house so the water can uh, drain off. And uh, he slipped and he lost his life. He came down down in a bad situation. You know, and this guy, that's the thing is, is that we all loved him because of his, uh, him and Erwin. And he, he told it the way it was. That's why people loved the guy. And, uh, he's right too. It. It's not the same game it was back then. But I still love it, so. Anyways, on to Don. I was going to say, too, is that, yeah, The restaurant that he had was Chi-Chi's, and that thing was just back in the 70s, 80s, and middle the 90s, that thing was, a, that thing was booming. And uh well, they had quite a few Chi Chis and they had a lot of uh, a lot of fun back in those Chi Chis too. <laughs> so anyways, Don down and uh, his next and Don McElhinney would have loved to win an and up championship. And the former Green Bay halfback might have done just that had he stayed in one place a little longer. McElhone played. McElhinney played his rookie year of 1956 in Detroit. Following year, he was one of four players traded to Green Bay for quarterback Tobin Road. That 1957 season, the Lions won the NFL Championship. That last the last time that franchise has captured a title. McElhoney played in Green Bay from 1957 to 1959, then was taken by Dallas in the expansion draft in 1960. Sure enough, by 1961, the Packers had began their run of five world championships in seven years. Even the Cowboys would go on to Grand things, but that was long after McElhaney had retired. Every time I left someplace, it got awfully good, he said the uh, 78-year-old McElhinney, who's retired and living in Dallas today. My timing was the best. My timing wasn't the best. Still, McElhaney considers his timing impeccable for winding up in Green Bay. He had been the Lions third-round draft choice on of Southern Mass University in 1956 when the Packers felt for him. He led Green Bay in rushing in 1957 with 384 yards. And had 239 the following season and caught 38 passes in those two seasons. In those two seasons. But the Packers went just three and nine under Lyle Blackburn in nineteen fifty-seven and won ten and one under Ray Scooter McLean in nineteen fifty-eight. Blackburn was a real and personal guy. McElhaney said, there was no zip or anything. Scooters should not have been Scooter should have been moved up. I remember in the last week of the 58. We were in we were on the West Coast. We had just one gotten our butts kicked. We had a team meeting, one guy said, I got a problem. Scooter started scratching his bald head and said, take your problem to Jesus, son. Scooter's got a problem of his own. That truly was the case as McLean was fired a few days later and replaced by the legendary Vince Lombardi. As McElhinney soon found out, things had changed for the better. It was fun playing for Vince, but for different reasons, McElhinney said. It was a wonderful, wonderful turnaround. I was very fond of him. All he asked is you stay out of trouble and work hard. I thought that was very simple. If you were a jerk, he would treat you like a jerk. But we had a couple of private moments where we, that we were very special. One of those came after Green Bay suffered his fourth consecutive loss in the 59, 1959. At 28 to setback, 28 to 17, Setback at the hands of the hated Chicago Bears. Vince was just furious in the locker room, said McElhinney, who ran for 231 yards in 1959. He was slamming lockers and really furious. And people were just trying to stay out of his way. I had gone into the shower, the shower facilities at Wrigley Field were really tiny. All of a sudden I looked up and Vince was standing next to me in the showers. he said you put a hell of a good football game today i didn't know what to say the next time McElhaney had such a moment with Lombardi came prior to the 1962 season when he was two years removed from the green packer days texas was home to McElhaney so when the Cowboys were given an expansion team in 1960 he told Dallas coach Tom injury, he'd like to play there. It turned out he he could be a a mixed bag, though, as McElhaney was cut after just one season. He played the 1961 campaign in San Francisco. I wasn't sure he wanted to retire or not. After watching the Packers practice in Dallas prior to the 62 season, McElhaney thought he had such the itch he called Lombardi. And when I, I went into his hotel room and sat on one, I sat on one of the beds, and I, he sat on another mechanic, McElhinney, he took you called. I told him I wanted to come back and play. He said, I think we can work it out. Why don't you join us back in Green Bay? Well, I think it's like when you want someone to say they love you, but you don't want to get married. I just realized it wasn't for me. So I called him back and he was very gracious and wished me well. McElhaney did well for himself. After a few years in the real estate world, he was independent producer in the oil business. Today, McElhaney keeps close tabs on the Packers and sometimes wishes his timing had been a little better. Green Bay was a bunch of nice people, said McElhaney, who once played for Curly Lambeau in the college all-star game. It was a very hospitable town, and you knew all the store owners, and they knew you. We had a great time there. I wish I would have stayed around a few more years when they got so good. Well, this guy, this guy was a lot of fun to watch, but he had a brother who was a hall of famer too, and you know he put all San Francisco and, you know, and sometimes that. It takes away from Don McElhaney a lot because of his his brother, Lance, and uh, the thing is, is that, you know, it will never be a, it will never be as good as it seems it could have been for him because, you know, he was hurt a lot, but it was like, you know, he just never got the chance. He never got, he never was blessed with the opportunity. Like I say, he was a day late and a dollar short usually. So, you know, reality was too, though, he made his time. He did his duties. And, uh, you know, he came to love Green Bay and he was respected by uh, Coach Lombardi. So, that 1959 uh, book, that just came out a couple of years ago, is a really good book and it's got a really nice piece on him in there. And if you get a chance, go back and read that because that, uh, that's, that's a, that's a really good story and it's a really good story about being, Ball and Lombardi's first team to seven and five. And, uh, what a fun, uh, what a fun way to wrap that up. And like I said, I really appreciate what everybody's, what, how everybody's supporting me. And, uh, you know, I just want to say if nobody else has told you they love me today, I do. And with that, I want to thank everybody with the power of love. Thank you. It's Todd coming to you. To, it's Todd from the, uh, from the podcast. And I'm just asking for to give us a five-star review and to uh, hopefully you like this podcast because I hope you give us a five-star review. But also, uh, if you could Give us a five-star on the Twitter, too. We're on Twitter. We're on WordPress. So if you could give us good reviews on that, we would really, really appreciate it. Thanks.